Isn't it beautiful this time of year? Yes? No? <laughs> you know, the last three or four weeks, I didn't have to worry about notes. They were on the screen, so... <laughs> so we're going to try and get this going. I was watching uh, YouTube during my lunch yesterday. I always like to see some different things. And I ran, I'm looking up for a raspberry pie. I like the tinker with them. And I was looking at um, some of the things that people have done. And I ran across what they call a white hat hacker. How many of you guys know what a white hat hacker is? Sandy does. <laughs> Are you a white hat hacker, Sandy? No? I have to be something. Yeah, okay. Are you a black hat hacker? Okay. <laughs> a white, remember the old uh, westerns? You had the good guys wearing the big white hats and the bad guys wore the big black hats? Well, Sandy would wear a big white hat because she's a good white hat hacker. Well, there was a guy who he was hacking using a Raspberry Pi and a, if you know what a, a software-defined radio USB chip is, basically it's a radio receiver that will pick up the whole radio spectrum and you can pay um, about $25 for them. I've got one. It's really cool. And so what he is doing is he was monitoring the uh, transmitter on his garage door, and he found the frequency it was on, and he was looking at the dip switches, and he was looking at the pattern on his receiver through the laptop. He's like, oh, look, the switches are the same position and all this stuff. And so then he calculated on how many, that's good, um, how many um, possibilities it would take to hack it. And he figured it would take him about, 30 minutes to hack his neighbor's garage door if he had the same garage door. And he thought, well, I bet you I can narrow that down. And he finally got it down to he could hack his garage door in eight seconds. And he just hit the button and it just goes, and it, his garage door opened. And so then he thought, hey, I wonder what I can do with my car door, my, my car. Because everybody, you know, you got a key fob, beep, beep, and the door opens. And he found that he could do the same thing with car. And I know there's somebody in my family who, uh, had their car stolen because they locked the doors outside their house with a key fob, and they opened the door with their key fob, and they went out and they said to their spouse, did you move the car? No, I didn't move the car. Did you move the car? No. car's gone. Somebody had been monitoring the key fob, and they simulated it, and they unlocked it. And you think, okay, BMWs and all these kind of cars are um, not prone to that? Yeah. Five out of ten major manufactured cars are hackable with just uh, about 30 seconds of hacking. Kind of scary. But you know what? An enemy has hacked how we understand God's law. So let's have prayer. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are so good and you are so kind. We thank you for what you have done. Father, as we look at your law, as we look at your goodness and your grace, help us, Father, to see that you are a loving Heavenly Father, and this is not your plan, death, dying, sickness, suffering. This was a possibility that you, even though you knew it, this was not your intention. So, Father, help us to see how you want to restore in us and how you have restored in our church the truths that were there from the beginning. Thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Just so this doesn't distract you, I'm going to hit mute on the...
button, if I can see it. AV mute. There it goes. Okay. Cool. So, a hacker uses the natural responses of a system to exploit it. Is that a good definition? Okay, good. I passed. <laughs> and it detracts from the original intent. So, disobedience to God's law was always a possibility throughout the universe, but that was not God's intention. God had built this entire universe on choice, and the choice was always, what good thing are you going to do next? Satan said, I want to flip that. I want to do it for me. And that was unknown in the universe. You never do anything for yourself. You always do it for the others. And so he started hacking in his mind, like, how can I do this? Just like this guy. And he, he, was, he actually is interesting because he went on the General Motors website and looked for their security section. He's going to contact them. Hey, I found this flaw in your code for your new vehicles. This was 2016. And I was able to get into my car, my friend's car, and I was able to roll his windows down without even touching his car and without even looking at his key fob. He rolled the guy's windows down by hitting the sequence of buttons. And the guy went out to his car. He's like, my windows are down. How'd they get down? Well, I don't know. He hacked it. And so he wrote to General Motors and said, there's a flaw, and they wouldn't pay attention to him. He tried to call them. That he would get through a certain level of tech support. They wouldn't pay any attention to him. So he thought, okay, I'll get their attention. He went on YouTube. He posted what he did, except for the codes, and within 24 hours, General Motors was calling him. How did you do that? Well, I tried to call you guys, but you wouldn't pay attention, so I thought I'd get your attention this way. They, he has their attention now. He goes to all these different hacker conferences, and he's a not trying to exploit the system. He's trying to show where there's vulnerabilities. And even in systems that send a, re, a completely random code, there's a way of hacking that too. He found a way. It's amazing. And so whenever somebody sets their mind on how to hack stuff, do you realize whenever you walk into a building with your phone on Wi-Fi, your phone does not send out the MAC address, it's in, which is the, the serial number, it's looking for, like, here, it's, it was AT&T, now it's Cadillac SDA Church or whatever. So your phone is looking, are you Cadillac SDA? No. Are you Cadillac SDA? No. Well, a hacker could say, yes, I am. And then they can take the data from your phone, and they can look at what you're doing. Satan does that spiritually to us. He is always looking for an open vulnerability. The Bible clearly gives an explanation of what his intentions are, and he's giving, God gives us the parameters of this through the scriptures. Disobedience to God's law was not God's intention. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible clearly explains that the souls of the dead are unconscious because the dead were not immortal. Adam became a living being. So whenever a young man and a young lady get together, she becomes his wife. He becomes her husband. Before, they were friends, but now they have become something together. Satan knows that we have that vulnerability. We want more. But Adam was not an immortal soul before he was created. He became a living being. A living soul is the King James Version. He became that when God brought the spirit and the body together. Only Jesus had immortality, and he was willing to lay it aside. Now, if you take this remote control, and you take the batteries out of it, what's it going to do? Nothing. It's dead. 
But if you have this remote control and the batteries are in it, it has the ability at any time you push the button, it's going to function, right? Right? Okay. So imagine Jesus. He has immortal. He has immortality. He has divine prerogatives and all that. Those things. He was willing to lay there in the tomb for eternity so that we could have eternal life. Now, whenever you think of Jesus, he's not like a remote control. You hit this button, it does something. He is the immortal son of God. He is always thinking. He's always creating. He's always doing something. For him to lay down his life, it would be worse torture, I think. This is just me. It would be worse torture for him to lay there being still than to not be, you know, for us, whenever, when we think of the cross and all the suffering he went through, think of him as the eternal divine son of God laying there. He was willing to lay down everything for us. That's why Satan cannot contend with Christ because Christ demonstrated his love for us by laying himself down and saying, Father, into the hands I give, thy, give my spirit. And so that's why on Resurrection Day, if you read in Desire of Ages, the angel comes down and says, Jesus, your father, calls you. So he was saying, you, you now have permission to get up. He would have laid there forever, continually, while we enjoyed heaven. He was willing to suffer that penalty for us. The enemy has hacked how most of the religious world understands death. Whenever you look at all the Halloween stuff, what do you see? Skeletons. Ghosts, goblins, all that stuff. But Ecclesiastics 9, 5, and 10, and some, some churches actually say Ecclesiastic is, Ecclesiastes is not inspired. But look at Job chapter 14, verse 21. If, if this does not convince a person, I'm sure there's other things that people could argue, but look at Job chapter 14, Verse 21, and then think of Job 14, 21. It's a multiple of seven. If you're into numbers, 14 is a, two times seven is 14. Three times seven is 21. Look at Job 14, 21. It says, his sons come to honor and he does not know it. They are brought low and he does not perceive it. Why? Because he's in the grave. He has no clue what's going on around him. Jesus in the grave you know, he was willing to shut down everything and stay there forever. He had immortality. We don't. So whenever we die, that's it. And Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1 says, Jesus is our high priest who ministers on our behalf in the heaven. And Ephesians 2.8 says, we are saved by grace. Our faith takes hold on God's grace. It's God's grace, his grace through the sacrifice of Christ. So, I've been reading through Romans chapter 6. And it's reading through this. You know, I'm just, it's amazing to me to read this. By God's grace and the sacrifice of Christ, we are set free from sin and become new creatures in Christ to whom we present ourselves as his slave. Now, what's a slave? Somebody that willingly submits to somebody else. Hebrew, or Romans chapter 6 is saying we're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. Are you going to be a slave to sin? If you're going to be a slave to sin, you're going to say, sure, let's go, have fun. But then the fun, it says it disappoints you. But if you are slaves to Christ, it's righteousness. Okay, here's some Halloween questions. 
And yet, you kind of wonder why my sermon is Happy Halloween. I thought it'd be kind of fun. Okay, um, let's just look at some traditions here. I'll get back to some other things. Do you know why people believe that black cats bring us bad luck? Any idea? Tradition says it's because in the Middle Ages, people believed that witches avoided detection by turning themselves into black cats. Ooh. So it's bad luck, wicked people. And there's also another tradition that said that um, whenever a person died and they were really a rascal, God would send them back as a black cat. You know, okay, so black cats. We got a black cat. Is she, uh, only time she doesn't bring us good luck is when the dog chases her and she leaves a mess behind. <laughs> okay. Did you know that modern-day witches uh, celebrate Halloween as a religious holiday? They view it as a memorial day for their deceased friends, much like we observe the National Memorial Day on, in May. Do you know where um, the word Halloween... Okay, let's skip that one, because I'll get into that. Okay, this Halloween, the origins go back to before Christianity to... In the, the vigil of Saman, or actually Samhain, a holiday for a pagan nun god known as a Grim Reaper. And it was over in, you ever hear of Stonehenge and the Druids? That's where Halloween came from. All of that pagan things back then. It's interesting how the enemy has hacked even our calendar. When you think of spring, what holiday comes to mind when you think of spring? It's a hack. It was Passover. This lamb of God is sacrificed. Passover. When you think of winter, what winter holiday do you think of? Did you know that the Maccabees fought against the um, Seleucid kings and they, they only had enough oil because everything in the temple had been desecrated and they only had one container of oil that had not been desecrated. And so they put that in the menorah, which we also call the, the table, the lampstands, and it burned for eight days and it only should have burned for one day. And so now the Jews, and if you look in the Bible, in, um, I forget, I think it's, anyways, Jesus celebrated the winter dedication feast because they were celebrating when God's provided for them the oil so it burned for eight days and, until they could get more oil. Jesus is the light of the world. When you think of fall, what, what holiday do you think of besides Thanksgiving? What, what are we talking about? Halloween? That's another hack. Because God, it, the fall of every year, September, October, there was, also, there, was a, there was a feast for the harvest, but there was also the Day of Atonement. October 22nd. I know somebody here had a birthday this week. Happy birthday. <laughs> but the point of it is, everything that points to Christ and his salvation, Satan's going to hack it because he's trying to distract us from, his, from God's original intent. Where did the jack-o'-lantern come from? There was this guy. He was a really rascal. His name was Jack. And one day, he tricked the devil to climb a tree, an apple tree, and once the devil got up in the apple tree, he, Jack carved a cross in the tree. And the devil is like, I'm not going past that cross. And so he said, okay, I'll make a deal with you. They, won't let me in, they probably won't let me into heaven, so you've got to let me not go to hell. And he's like, okay, but I'm going to get you. So he threw one of his 
embers and it landed and it hit a turnip. And so whenever Jack died, he had to go around the earth carrying a turnip, which became a pumpkin on the United States side. And so that's why we celebrate, we put a light inside the pumpkin so this, the coal that the devil threw at Jack would keep the devil away from us. A pumpkin. The tradition of dressing up, why do we dress up the Celtic roots if the ghosts would, this kind of steps on your toes a little bit, doesn't it? We used to go trick-or-treating when we were kids. The tradition of dressing in the costume, both European and Celtic roots, where it was believed that ghosts came back from the earthly, to the earthly world, so to be avoided and being recognized, these ghost people would wear masks so the ghosts would mistake them for fellow spirits. There's a lot of tradition and a lot of misinformation. These are all hacks. Martin Luther, what day did he nail, nail his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg Church? October 31st. What's the significance of all of October 31st? It's the eve of All Saints Day. You ever hear of Christmas Eve? The day before Christmas. Whenever it's your birthday, it's your birthday Eve, right? <laughs> the day before so the point of it is, Halloween was the church's way of trying to avoid some of this, and so they had All Hallowed's Day Eve, which is all, so it's on October 31st, and it was kind of a fix, but it didn't work too well. Then All Saints Day is the day that all the people that have been become saints are celebrated and it's mandatory, especially in the old days, that it's a mandatory obligation to attend Mass on that day. And then on November 2nd, it's not a mandatory day, but that's the day where you pray for all the souls that have not yet ascended to heaven. They have not become saints yet. And so you're praying. Uh, it's a day of oblation to attend Mass. It's, it's an obligation. You don't, you don't have to go to Mass on the 2nd. But you're praying for the souls that have not yet ascended to heaven. What does the Bible say? We have a great high priest, Jesus, the righteous one. Halloween is a distraction. It's a, de- it's a detraction from what God has given us. And I want to show you a picture here. See if I can bring it up here. I got a new battery in my laptop this week. We'll see how it works. The other one, I had to keep it plugged in all the time. Any of that startle you? Kind of like, wow. Here we go. So I tried using PowerPoint and it crashed on me, so I'm just going to go back to Open Office. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> okay, what do you see there? A picture. Okay, if you go on Google, my favorite is DuckDuckGo any search engine, type in Dream of Frederick the Wise, and you'll see pictures of this. So here's the story. I'll read it to you. It's not too long, and we'll be out here around noon. On the morning of October 31st, 1517, on the morning of October 31st, 1517, notice this. This is Duke Frederick III, Elector of Saxony. It's his dream. He, tells to his, he says to his brother, Duke John, brother, I must tell you a dream which I had last night and the meaning of which I should like to know. It is so deeply impressed on my mind that I will never forget it. Were I to live a thousand years, this is 1517, that was 500 years and a couple, 
back. For I dreamed it thrice, and each time with new circumstances. Duke John, is it a good or bad dream? The elector, I don't know. God knows. Duke John, don't be uneasy at it, but be, good, be so good as to tell it to me. The elector, having gone to bed last night, fatigued and out of spirits, I fell asleep shortly after my prayer and slept calmly for about two hours and a half. I then awoke and continued awake to midnight, all sorts of thoughts passing through my mind. Among other things, I thought how I was to observe the Feast of All Saints. I prayed for the poor souls in purgatory and supplicated God to guide me, my counsels and my people, according to the truth. I again fell asleep and then dreamed that Almighty God sent me a monk. Okay, so here's the monk down here on your left-hand side. Sent me a monk who was a true son of the Apostle Paul. All the saints accompanied him by order of God in order to bear testimony before me and to declare that he did not come to contrive any plot, but that all that he did was according to the will of God. They asked me to have the goodness graciously to permit him to write something on the door of the church of Castle Wittenberg. This I granted through my chancellor. Thereupon the monk went to the church and began to write in such large characters that I could read the writing at Schweinsitz. I'm not sure on that. The pen which he used was so large that its end reached as far as Rome, where it pierced the ears of a lion. Do you see the lion's ears being pierced? Right above the city of Rome? I don't have my laser pointer. But right straight down from the letter O in October, you'll see the pen is going right past that lion as piercing his ears, okay? Okay, um, the pen used... The, lost my spot. It reached as far as Rome, where pierced the ears of a lion that was crouching there and caused the triple crown upon the head of the Pope to shake. All the cardinals and princes, ran, running hastily up, tried to prevent it from falling. You and I, brother, wished also to assist and stretched out my arm. But at this moment, I awoke with my arm in the air, quite amazed and very much enraged at the monk for not managing his pen better. I recollected myself a little. It was only a dream. I was still half asleep and once more closed my eyes. The dream returned. The lion, still annoyed by the pin, began to roar with all his might, so much so that the whole city of Rome and all the states of the whole empire ran to see what the matter was. The Pope requested them to oppose this monk and applied particularly to me on account of his being in my country I again awoke, repeated the Lord's Prayer, entreated him to preserve his holiness, and once more fall asleep. We read the Lord's Prayer. Does it say anything about penance? Purgatory? Let's keep going. Then I dreamt, then I dreamed, and all the princes of the empire, and we among them. Oops. I'm on battery. Okay. Then I been hacked. <laughs> Come on, there we go. Back. Okay. I'm on battery. Yeah. Okay, then I dreamed that all the princes of the empire, we among them, hastened to Rome and strove one after another to break the pin. But the more we tried, the stiffer it became, sounding as if it had been made of iron. We at length desisted. I then asked the monk, for I was sometimes in Rome and sometimes at Wittenberg, where he got this pin and why it was so strong. The pin, relied he, replied he, belonged to an, an old goose of Bohemia. Okay, here's the goose, I think. A hundred years ago, 
John Huss. I got it from one of my schoolmasters as to its strength. It is owing to the impossibility of depriving it of its pith or marrow, and I am quite astonished at it myself. Suddenly I heard a loud noise. A large number of other pins had sprung out of the long pin of the monk. I awoke a third time. It was daylight. Duke John, Chancellor, what is your opinion? Would we have a Joseph or a Daniel enlightened by God? Chancellor, your highness knows the common proverb that the dreams of young girls, learned men, and great lords usually have some hidden meaning. The meaning of this dream, however, we shall not be able to know for some time, not till the things to which it relates have taken place. Therefore, or wherefore, leave the accomplishment to God and place it fully in his hand. Duke John, I am of your opinion, Chancellor. Tis not fit for us to annoy ourselves in attempting to discover the meaning. God will overrule for his glory. Elector, may God, faith, may our faithful God do so. Yet I shall never forget this dream. I have indeed thought of interpretation, but I keep it to myself. Times perhaps will show if I have been a good diviner. So passed the morning of October 31st, 1517, in the royal castle of Schweinsitz. The events of the evening at Wittenberg we have already detailed. The elector has hardly made an end of telling his own dream when the monk comes with his hammer to interpret it. It's a true story. That happened before Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of the castle church at Wittenberg. God was revealing what's happening. And so while Martin Luther was not a perfect man, he had his faults. In his 95 Theses, here's a summary of them. Selling indulgences to finance the building of St. Peter's is wrong. You know where St. Peter's is now? That's the main basilica. The Pope has no authority over purgatory. Buying indulgences gives people a false sense of security and endangers their salvation. That's what Martin Luther's complaint was. You're selling these people. You've got all the money in the world. There's a, there's a wealthy man in history named Cruz. I think his name is Crucis. Or, and he, he said, you have more money than him, and yet you're taking these pennies from these people. So in the late 1840s, the Irish and Scottish potato famine was so devastating, 100,000 people lost their lives. They brought many immigrants to the United States to seek a new land. And with them, and it's not to fault them, but with them, they brought the tradition of Halloween. And so they caught on here in the late, uh, early 1900s. But in 1844, a message came of the second coming of and with that message, in the disappointment, there was many things that were revealed. And in, that, in the revealing of that, first was primarily that we have as a high priest in the most holy place, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have a high priest in heaven. We don't need an intercessor through saints or angels or anybody else. We go right to our heavenly Father through Christ by the way of the Holy Spirit. Scripture is above tradition. Scripture has no, is not interpreted by tradition, so we look to Scripture. The seventh day is the Sabbath. Salvation comes by the grace of God. The Ten Commandments were not changed. The second coming is sure. The state of the dead 
is when a person dies, they are in a soul sleep until the second coming. There's a thousand years when the righteous will be in heaven and they will investigate why the wicked, why the non-righteous are not there. And God is going to let himself be completely audited so the judgment will be on God. Is he fair? And at the end of the thousand years, it will be seen that he is righteous. And even Satan will have to bow down and say, you are worthy of worship. There will be a destruction of the wicked. There will be an end of sin. And there will be a new earth where there will not be any more hacks where we'll say, I'm not going there. I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to go hack my neighbor's car. I don't want to open his garage door. I have the technology. I could do it, but I don't want to. Why? Because love, your na- love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the rule of the kingdom of heaven. So the enemy is hacked how we understand the law of God. By studying the scriptures, we will put ourselves... Near to the Holy Spirit. We will listen to the Holy Spirit. Just like our, our, our radios, even the infrared on this. It's listening for a certain tone. We should be listening for that certain tone from the Holy Spirit that says, this is not the way you should go, or this is the way you should go. Satan is always trying to throw interference at us. Interference is one of his tools of trying to manipulate, and that's what the hacker was using, Interference. Satan is always trying to throw interference at us so that we miss what God is saying. But if we're truly in tune with our Heavenly Father, Satan can, interperson- he can impersonate Christ himself. We'd say, no, you're a fake. One day, God is going to come for his righteous people. Let's be among that group. Our closing prayer, our closing song today is number, what's the number? I missed it. <laughs> 441, I saw one weary. And this is the story of those who went through that disappointment. Number 441. Please stand.
Let's bow our heads. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the truth. Father, the enemy has looked at our lives. He looks at our characters. He looks at our past, and he thinks he's got us figured out. But, Father, we have a Savior in Jesus, and that no matter what the enemy has from our past, we have a clean slate with you. You say forgiven. So, Father, we just lift our hearts to you and ask that you would bless us this holy Sabbath day, that we would be a blessing to many this week. Please give us divine opportunities. And, Father, most of all, help us live lives that will honor you. We thank you for your great love and your many mercies. Thank you, Father, for this time we could be in your presence. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.